0: The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. Today's scripture reading is from Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, Rachel and I are glad to be back at Downtown Church. Uh, We can honestly say uh, there is no church family like this church family. And I can't tell you how much we missed you, uh, but I also can't tell you that we completely um, detached from you (laughs) for four months. And um, it was truly one of the most, if not the most, significant things we've ever done in our lives and so there's really no way to summarize it i'm trying to think of ways to bring uh really reflections of it back to you and i hope that we will in some form or i know that we will in some form or fashion some of it will come out of uh our preaching my preaching but um Um, But I'm hoping to write and just be able to give you the opportunity um, just to hear what God has done and what I look forward to um, continuing in me. Uh, I can say this, that uh, I had a lot. I I didn't realize how unhealthy I was before I just got still. Uh, No distractions, no meetings to run to, nobody's other, you know, crisis or whatever to attend to, no uh, sermons to prepare for, no plans to make, just be still before God and live life and hear Him. And um, it is wonderful and it is frightening to do that Um, because God begins just, He's faithful. He begins to pull layers back and you begin to see things in your own heart and life that you realize are unhealthy, you realize motivations uh, were unhealthy, and um, and so I look forward to bringing that to you. I can tell you that the Women's Retreat is right on target, the topic of the Women's Retreat. Without solitude, uh, without stopping, without shutting up and making everything else shut up around you, turning off, getting off, and I'm off social media 95%, just getting it off. It is the only way, the only way to find real rest, real Sabbath, real peace, uh, and to find the power of the gospel that is present for us all, that we're really distracted from. Um, The Christian life cannot be a hobby. It must be your life. (laughs) And, um, And so a lot of that was made clear to me over um, sabbatical, and I look forward to getting that to you in some form or fashion over the next uh, several weeks and months. But let's look now at the Beatitudes, which is certainly not disassociated from that topic. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. we certainly need Him. Um, let's ask Him to open our hearts and, and minds. God, um, we run 100 miles an hour. We're running 100 miles an hour in here. Some are probably still... Can't even sit in this room without. Oh man, Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and man has got. It. Without thinking about work tomorrow, without being weighed down by the responsibilities of life of being a father, being a mother, being a husband, uh, being a wife, being um, uh, a lead at work. Father, we need you. We need you to come by your Spirit. And to get us in the moment. Uh, we need you to open our hearts and minds to our own pride and our arrogance and our natural inclination toward control. And Father, even how we've used you um, to make ourselves feel good about us and bad about others, and really good about us by feeling bad about others. Lord, I pray that you would come and you would humble us in this room, that you would blow through here by your Spirit, and you would do what you do. (laughs) And that is open hearts and open ears and open eyes to Jesus, the one who is life. Lord Jesus, don't leave us as we are. I need you. I know that. So come now. I pray in your name. Amen. In uh, 2014, the the city of Flint, Michigan, changed its water source supply from um, the Detroit River and Lake Huron to the Flint River. And in so doing, they used old pipes that, um, um, because they used those old pipes, lead seeped into the water, causing a massive health crisis for over 100,000 people. From 2014 to 2016, 87 cases of Legionnaires disease, a water-borne disease, was um, reported. And out of those, at least 12 ended in death. Um, as we know, that Flint, Michigan, especially that part of Flint, Michigan, is primarily African-American, primarily poor. Um, and that's, you know, a huge part of it. However, i 'm struck by the reality that for a couple of years, over one hundred thousand people were putting their uh, water bottles and putting their cups under their faucets <laughs> and drinking lead based water. It looked clean, it looked healthy it looked like water that you 're supposed to drink. I mean everybody knows we 're supposed to drink more water and i 'm sure many went to the to the faucet. With that motivation I got to drink more water. And yet drinking that water was deadly. As Jesus stands goes up on the mount as the new Moses, picturing the new Moses, and he sits down showing the authority that he has over heaven and earth and he begins to lay out this massive sermon as recorded in Matthew 5 through 7. And especially as he begins with the Beatitudes, saying, Blessed are, what he was calling the world to, what he was calling to you and myself to, is life. However, he was also, in so doing, showing us that, that which, the kind of water that we should not be drinking. When Jesus comes to us this morning and says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, what he's saying is, Cursed are the prideful. I mean, what he's saying is if you make a diet out of pride, it is going to kill your soul. You will be separated from the kingdom of God, period. And yet we hear that and we've got to do some work. Most of the work, a lot of the work that I've got to do this morning is convince us that the kind of blessing that Jesus is describing is worth turning our back on the kind of blessing that we are really pursuing this morning. You see, if I, so what we need to see, number one, is we want this kind of blessing. We want what Jesus is offering. If I stood here this morning, I said, okay, hey, I just, you know, I found a a, a new um, um, water bottle business from Flint, Michigan, and I've got about, you know, four or five hundred, you know, bottles of it. Who wants one? Ain't nobody saying, yeah, give me one of those bottles of Flint, Michigan water. I mean, I don't have to do anything but say, this, my friends, is from Flint, Michigan. Who wants it? (laughs) Nobody does. But to stand before you and say, hey guys, who wants to be poor in spirit? Who is excited about getting the blessing of being humble? Dude, the humble finish last. We know what happens to the humble in what? The real world. And Jesus says, all right, cursed are you. You can drink it all you want. You can try to make it clear. You can try to make it healthy. You can try to fit me in around your pride. You can try to fit me in around your life of control. You can, tr- But it ain't going to work. You can't hold on to your pride and have me. You can't hold on to your pride and have the kingdom. And see, what makes it even more, you know, why I have to work even more so is because his audience in the Greco-Roman world got it immediately. For several hundred years, folks like uh, Socrates and Plato and Aristotle were debating and giving and, and, and in the public square all this, this idea of where real blessing comes from. Um, and it, they predated Jesus. And, and this was the conversation of the day because, yes, nobody in that day was thinking, you know, yeah, blessing of a new car and a new house and money. No, they were like, how can we live a life that means something? How can we live a life of virtue? How can we live a happy life, a flourishing life? Socrates in uh, 300 BC, or about really 320 BC, was using this whole concept of eudaimonia, and it was the good life. Uh, it, it was the flourishing life, and his whole thing was, if you're, um, you know, because what separates us from all the other, uh, from all other creation or all other uh, thing, living things, is the fact that we have the ability to, uh, we are rational beings and we can think. Therefore, contemplation leads you to a flourishing life. Everybody was looking for a life of flourishing, but everybody had a different uh, context and answer of how you get it. Well, when Jesus went up on the mountain and he said, Blessed are, what he was saying was, Listen up, there's a new philosophy that's come to town. This is a whole different reality that is coming straight from God himself. Flourishing are... The poor in spirit. You see, it's not flourishing in the sense if I become humble, then God's going to make me healthy and wealthy. In fact, as we see in the Beatitudes, blessed are those when men persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely because of my sake. In other words, you take this teaching, your life circumstantially is going to get worse. Some of you are going to die, you're going to be rejected. You may not make as much money. You may get fired. You may get shunned. You may have fewer friends. Do you see? It's not this physical, tangible, Western kind of idea of flourishing. But it's a life that is better, that is more flourishing because it is not dependent on circumstances. You can have a flourishing life in your lack of money, in your sickness. There's something better than what the world can offer you. This is what Jesus is throwing out there. You see, Jesus said this. He said in John 10.10, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. And today, there's a message in the church and there's a perception. It's so easy to sell it. You come to Jesus and He's going to prosper you. And dear friends, God does prosper us. God can meet our financial needs. He is going to meet our... He's going to be there. But dear friends, the hope that we have is greater. He can bring glory out of our death. One of my best friends in all the world is planting a church in Nashville, Kirk Atkinson, His wife, two weeks ago, was diagnosed with ovarian cancer. Just this past week, they found out it's carcinoma uh, cancer. It's in stage one. It's early. But you look at that, I mean, one way to say, oh yeah, wow, Jesus, man, it's really flourishing you, isn't it? <laughs> man, I don't want that kind of God. Oh, but you just have to know Kirk and death. You see, their joy is not dependent on this life. Their joy is rooted in something deeper, something better. They're not losing life. They might just be losing this world, but they're going to gain heaven. And they're going to gain the kingdom. And that's what Jesus is calling us to. We want this kind of blessedness, but secondly, without poverty of spirit, you may be able to manage sin in your life But you're not going to experience the blessing of freedom from sin's power. Hear me. Without being poor in spirit, and this kind of opens the window on the flourishing reality of being poor in spirit. I can state it another way. Being poor in spirit leads us to the point where we, as believers, have power over sin. We can see change in our lives. We have the power to be different. The first step—I mean, AA knows this. Alcoholics Anonymous, the most successful rehab treatment, um, you know, plan or, or um, strategy or method known to mankind. And I'm pretty sure that they—they they got this truth. Uh, from Jesus and not the other way around, but the very first step of AA is what? It's to um, admit that we are powerless over alcohol and our lives are unmanageable. Do you hear that? And guess what? People don't come to one meeting and say it. They don't come to one meeting and stand up, yeah, I'm Richard Reeves, I'm an alcoholic. Oh, whew, that was tough. I'm done. I'm healed. They go back over and over and over and over. I had one of my deacons in my first church. He was 60-something years old and he came to me and he said, I need to tell you something. I said, okay. And He said, I'm an alcoholic. I said, oh man, we can get you help. He said, no, no, no. No. I've been sober for 30 years, but I'm an alcoholic. (laughs) You see, it's by saying every single day, I cannot touch that if if that touches my lips my life is destroyed it is not i cannot manage it that's how that's how unhealthy i am that's how weak i am and yet power comes change comes sobriety comes only by not just admitting it verbally but believing it in my soul and ordering my life in that direction that it might shake me i cannot drink alcohol No matter how bad I want to. No matter how bad the devil tells me, Oh, just one little drink, it ain't going to hurt anybody. One drink never hurt anybody. You see, dear friends, it's the same with us in the church. Jesus said, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Yeah, but. What do we do? We manage it. We politicize our sin. Republicans... Criticize moral sin. Oh, those, you know, those sexual sinners out there. Those homosexuals. <laughs> we do that in the church, don't we? Because church, most church, is politicized. In most churches, it feels like either a Republican convention or a Democratic convention. But it doesn't feel like the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, what happens when we isolate one aspect of one sin over all the others? What it does is, what it's reaped is a church that is just as addicted to pornography, just as addicted to serial sex outside of marriage, just as addicted to affairs and divorce than the world. Oh, but we're not homosexual. Look at us. (laughs) Do you see, there's no power in that. But there's also no power in coming to the other side and just saying, oh, come on, God is a much more modern God and and we need to define, you know... um, our sexual participation, or identity according to our own desires, and surely God understands. No, there's no power in that either. Because all it's doing is saying, we are better because. Because we are accepting, we are affirming, so we're better than those people that are not affirming And yet all the while, there's sin manifesting and growing, sin of self-righteousness and pride and arrogance and a lukewarm heart toward God because there's no need for God. I don't need salvation. That's an old concept, you see. So both, both need to be stopped in their tracks. I love, or this is what Paul is saying in Romans 3.19. I can't say I truly love it, but it's, it's what the truth is. And Romans 3.19, Paul says, says this, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world, Republican, Democrat, Presbyterian, Episcopal, the whole world be held accountable to God. The law of God is not there to puff us up but shut us up. No one should be dancing and boasting before the law of God. Because it will condemn you. It is a curse, so says Paul in Galatians. If you look to it to feel good about yourself, dude, you're not reading it. I laugh at the people that say, oh, I'm, you know, I've got that simple Christianity. I just live by the Sermon on the Mount. Really? Have you read the Sermon on the Mount? Good grief. You've heard it said to the people long ago, do not murder. I tell you, if you're angry with your brother in your heart, you're guilty of judgment. If you say, Raka, you're guilty of the fire of hell. Have you heard it it was said to the people long ago, do not commit adultery? But I tell you, if you've lusted after uh, another woman in your heart, you're guilty of judgment. You're guilty of adultery. Okay, well, not that part of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, (laughs) Just keep going. We can go to another that we in this church really do need to hear. You see, it's the tension right now between the older generation of Christians and the younger generation of Christians. Um, the the awakeness, the awokeness of the younger generation in the church has truly caught the older generation of Christians, many of them um, predominantly white, completely off guard. Um, and yet Scott Sauls, a preacher in... Um, Nashville tweeted this this week. I thought it was really good. Yeah, that was my 5% on social media this week. Uh, younger generations are suspicious of biblical ethics, morality, sexual identity. You know. Older generations of biblical justice. But Jesus says you must have both if you're going to follow me. Wow. We need to hear that, church. We need to hear it. You see, because there's so, our hearts are deceitful above all things. I was grieved this week to hear a video plea from a Memphis pastor of a Presbyterian church, non EPC, non PC USA. I'm narrowing it down, aren't I? And the video came forth with this warning We've got to be careful about being too consumed to um, motivated for social justice in the church today else we lose the gospel like they did in the 40s 50s and 60s yeah <laughs> and as I processed that I thought yes here's the reality a liberal theology that denies The Word of God as the Word of God that calls sin righteousness has no power. You hear me? Yet, to think you can have a gospel that does not propel one's life in the direction of loving his neighbor more than himself is no gospel. You see, dear friends, it's not either or. We have a gospel that's powerful enough to propel humble, loving social justice. And yes, we're always um, facing the, the temptation to lose the gospel, but it's not because we are involved in social justice. Hopefully that will drive you to show you your need in Jesus. People ask me about downtown church. Folks, it's hard to come to downtown church. We've had many people leave, and the primary reason people leave is because they say, I can't do it. What do they want? (laughs) What do I need to say? What do I need? As opposed to just be a sinner saved by grace and love someone around you. That's what we all want. The greatest commandment is to love God with all that you are. The second like unto it is to love your neighbor as yourself. To exalt one sin over another is death. And yet, Jesus is not teaching a poverty of spirit for poverty of spirit's sake. Uh, Thirdly, poverty of spirit is the door. Not just the kingdom entrance, but kingdom living. Do you understand what comes right after the Sermon on the? I mean, the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed. Blessed are the peacemakers. On and on and on we go. And then in verses thirteen through what sixteen, what do we hear? You are the salt of the earth. Do You hear, one who is impoverished of spirit will not be like the world. That's the power to live a new life. That's the power over sin. It's to come and say, I'm helpless over sin. It's not to find the sins that I'm not committing and rel against them and boycott them. It's to understand that, no, that might not be my proclivity, but here is my proclivity. Here is where my mind goes. Here is where my eyes go on my computer. This is... You're the salt of the earth. But if salt lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You're the light of the world, church. Those who are poor in spirit. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. No people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The poor in spirit give up on self and find strength in God. You see, this it's the the kingdom economy. Jesus doesn't say, saved are those who are poor in spirit. So get saved and then get Jesus to kind of sprinkle your life with some of his blessing along the way. Now, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. What it means to be a Christian, what it means to be born again, it's just the start of something glorious. It's to come under the rule of Christ, to come from the rule of the devil, from the rule of the world, from the rule of everything out there, under the rule of King Jesus and you say you teach me King Jesus you tell me how I'm to live tell me what my priorities are tell me how to live real life because you're the one that made me and you are true wisdom as Paul says in Colossians drive me to real living being poor in spirit is not the end but it's the the door to life transformation so what should we do if we're going to be poor in spirit we should go to god's just go to the rest of the sermon on the mount and what you see in the sermon on the mount is just what i said a minute ago you've got to deal with your anger it's not an anger issue <laughs> it's a murder issue It's not a lust issue. It's an adultery issue. It's if if your right hand, if you're giving your money away and letting everybody else know, or you know, um, dropping these subtle little things that others can know how much money you're giving, you're not letting your, you know, you're, you're definitely you're you're proclaiming to your right hand what your left hand is doing. That's in the Sermon on the Mount. If you're praying only in public, if you're praying or you talk about, yeah, man, I was praying the other day. I was in my quiet time for two hours. You've already received your reward. One who is poor in spirit is not praying in order to check a box on a list. One who is poor in spirit is praying because that is the only hope they have. They're coming to this place. They can't miss worship. Why? Because this is where they meet Jesus in the midst of fellow broken sinners. God shows up in the midst of worship and they cannot miss. Do you hear it? It's not, oh, did I go to church today? But did I hear the words that were being sung and that I sung? Did I hear them? Did it move my soul at all that God has, by His Word... Created a a billion universes and wiped away a billion of my sins on Jesus. Does it, does it move me? You see, that's one, one who is poor in spirit has to have God because he knows that he will not live unless he has him. And so we come to the law and we're not afraid of the law. Why? Because of verses 17 through 20. Jesus said this Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Wait a minute. So what is Jesus doing? Is He preaching a works righteousness? No, just the opposite. He's saying, yes, go and sit under the law and don't don't go to the law and and say, well, God didn't really mean... No, go to the law and say, not only did He mean that, He meant a whole lot more. It's worse than I think. I'm worse than I think. I have no hope before the law. But Jesus fulfilled it for me. So that now I can go from the law being a demand for salvation to a command for the real good, flourishing life. I mean, here's the reality if you get married and you cheat on your wife, there's no flourishing in that. If you take oxycodone morning, noon, and night, it's obvious what that's going to do to you. You're going to die. That's the kind of flourishing that we're talking about. You have to form your soul in the direction of being humble toward God. And the only way to do that is to allow His Word to crush you, that it might rebuild you. Because when I understand how angry of a man I am, how impatient of a man I am, when I understand that my little fits of rage on the road are not just some funny little cute thing, but it it should be a warning flag going like this, saying, dude, look at your heart. Are you kidding me? Do you see it? Let the law come in and drive you to poverty of spirit so that you might run to the one whose arms are open, who says, my burden is easy, my burden is light. Come to me. All you who are weary and heavy laden, come buy wine and milk without money, without cost. Come and swim in the river of my forgiveness and my love. Come in the realization of of, of that you've got nothing to bring me. You've got no righteousness to bring me, but you're a fake in this room today. If people just knew, well, guess what? God knows. So admit it to Him at least. <laughs> and it should be the freedom of our church body and our church family that we can admit it to one another. And don't play the game of Christianity, but be a Christian by being driven to the, game, to the point of being poor in spirit that you might find your righteousness in Christ Jesus and all of His obedience for you. That you might go out in that humility, in, as a, with a pliable soul, for Him to begin to shape you anew. As you continue to be crushed by the law, remade by the Spirit and His Word, lifted up by His love, that creates a new person that genuinely becomes salt and light in this world. Dear friend, what do you need to repent of this morning? What law do you need to come under? Is it judging your brother and sister because they've not been as active in social justice issues as they should? Is it judging your brother and sister because um, you know that they don't hold moral integrity and ethics and biblical ethics? What is it? What pride? What arrogance? It's cutting you off from the power of the kingdom of God. Repent and come to Jesus. And get in the river of His love. That we might be that salt and light in this world. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank You. We thank You that that Your arms are open. Oh God, I thank You that You are not like me. Oh, I can be so judgmental. I can be so selective in who I love. But oh, not You. You know every heart in this room this morning. Would you move by your spirit? Would you draw men and women, boys and girls, unto yourself that we might know the freedom of your grace and the freedom of your love? God, thank you. Work in us. Work in this room, O God. May we come just as we are. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.